Hello and welcome to the Michael Mamas Show. I'm your host, Michael Mamas, and we're coming to you from a sunny day at Mount Soma, home of the Sri Sameshra Temple in the mountains of Western North Carolina. Though it is really cold, there's that whole cold front that's hit pretty much the whole United States, huh? Um, <clears throat> so today, we're going to it's an interesting podcast, really. But actually, before we get started, I want to talk about something else that I find really interesting. And uh, Scotty, you're much more of an authority on this than I am. I've only tried it a few times so far. But it's a breathing technique from uh, Wim Hof. Uh, tell me a little bit, Scotty, about who, who Wim Hof is and his credentials or however you want to say it. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I got introduced to him a few years back, like right before the pandemic started, actually. And Louisa. Really? How long have you been doing the technique? Since right before the pandemic started, really? like my birthday. I didn't realize it was that long ago. See, yeah. Scotty told me about it, but I get inundated with so many emails and books to read and videos to watch and techniques to try that I've become a little jaded. I can't possibly try them all. But yeah. Scotty did rave about it. And then somebody else who I also respect recently raved about it, and I thought I should try it. And I, I'm fascinated by it. So I'm sorry, Scotty, go ahead. No, well, th this guy, he was, I, you know, from Europe. He had, uh, um, you know, just terrible things were happening to him. Um, his, they had, I forgot how many kids, like four kids. The wife decides to jump off the top of their apartment building and kill herself. So he went into like this deep state of depression and he was walking next to this, I think it was a river or a lake um, by where he lives. And it was the middle of winter and he said it was just calling to him. And so he went in the water just by whatever was calling to him. And then what he found out is that all those demons, everything that was going on, he could, it would, it would all go away. Cause all he was, I guess, able to do at the time was concentrate on like breathing and, and like going inside to a, you know, a place that was, you know, quiet, serene, you know, you know, that's really deep. interesting. Um, yeah. Scotty, because I've talked I think we've all talked about how, you know, a lot of the karma is, you know, how our mind functions and how we get it. What did I used to call those modes of function? I forgot. I made up a yeah. name for it, but we get stuck in a certain mode of function and we just can't get out of it. And it's just right. what runs our life. And so it's almost like, because I've only done the technique a few times, you've been doing it a few years. Okay. Yeah. But my experience right off the bat with it, which is amazing because it's like the first experience of it. First time you do it, it's like, wow, that's significant, you know? Yeah. But, but uh, 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 that's what it feels like is it kind of uh, cultivates the interconnection in a healthy way between uh, the mind and the body. Yeah. And yeah. And, taking you down to that, you know, like that, you know, the, the more like that transcendental level. Or yeah. It's interesting because it maps on the transcendental, but it's not really transcendental. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's a physiological state, but you know, everything maps. 
And there is a correlation there. Yeah. And so, yeah, so he, he started doing this and he started knowing, noticing that he could control his, he, he always calls it his, his uh, parasympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. And so he just started doing the, the breathing techniques and, you know, that developed, I think he, he also had some influence from some of the, uh, the breathing techniques of, of yogis and things like that. Cause yeah, evidently he did a lot of Hatha yoga. He was really good at it before he got into this. Yeah. But, you know, that's the thing. The parasympathetic nervous system It's very interesting. That's like sympathetic we're in control of. You know, parasympathetic is just goes on like heart beating and all these different physiological functions. Right. But those two, it's, see, it's, it's very interesting, really, because it's not just the intellect, the mind, how we think, our emotions, stuff like that, that get, you know, conditioned or programmed, however you want to say it. But it's also the parasympathetic nervous system. And, and, uh, if it gets programmed and conditioned in an unhealthy way, it's um, detrimental to your life, to your longevity. And this technique does seem to be something where uh, it normalizes the parasympathetic system, if I can say it that way. Sure. Do you agree with that, Scott? Yeah, totally. And another thing, um, you know, like he's done things scientifically also where he's gone in and had doctors like hook him up and then stick him with like, I think it was botulism. Um, oh, it's, it's some form of it where it's like in a clinical thing where it, it just, it stimulates these types of actions. So you get fever, sweat, whatever, you know, these categories of things. And mm. so th- he was in the hospital, they stuck him with the stuff. Um, he had no reaction. He was doing, he's like, I can control my, my immune response system too. And so they go, that's crazy. There's well, no- it does make sense. Cause in, in Ayurveda, they talk about Bala, you know, Bala is like yeah. constitutional strength of the physiology. And that certainly has a lot to do obviously with the parasympathetic, with the nervous system. Right. And so if in this technique, if you strengthen that, then you're going to improve the immune response. Right. It does make sense. You know, What's even crazier is that they go, well, you're just an outlier. You know what I mean? It must have been some, you're just mm-hmm. some freak of nature. And he's like, yeah, well, well, yeah, he's like, you give, give me 12 people in a week and I'll, we'll do it to them too. No. So he trained 12 people how to do this. And then they did it to them. The same thing. No response. Man, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. I mean, just think about, but they did it in, and they did it in the clinical setting, which is even more amazing. But then, yeah. Yeah. And, so, and then he hiked Mount Everest with just shorts and shirtless shorts right. and boots. That was it. Yeah. Well, first thing he was going was with no, no, no boots. Uh, <laughs> and he hurt, he hurt his foot like on a rock or something. So he had to put boots on and then he, he got like within, I think 4,000 feet of the top and they had to turn around cause his foot was hurt, but 4,000 feet from the top of Everest, you know, that's, that's yeah, well, pretty amazing. Well, the thing is, this is all amazing. It really is. And I mean, I've just tried it a few times. I'm very careful. You know, safety first is a good motto, particularly in these arenas because you got left-handed Tantra and I've talked about that, you know, right? You got yeah. Aveda, you got right-handed Tantra, which is like proper engineering. You got left-handed Tantra, tantra which is like hot wiring a car that you can, you know, burn the house down type thing. Uh, 
and so I'm almost to the point where most of the stuff that's taught in the spiritual arena is left-handed Tantra because, you know, you can get quick results. You don't have the key, but you can still start the car, uh, but you damage the car, you know? Uh, uh, and so I'm really careful, but boy, this, this technique seems like a very, uh, healthy technique, you know, it, it sure does, but I'll continue to look into it. And if I change my opinion on that, I'll let you know, but I don't think I will. I was impressed right from the very beginning, you know? Yeah, definitely. Now, Scotty, can you, can you, um, there's that little video that it's just, it, it's, I do it when I do it. I don't know if you still yeah. do it or not, but I follow this little guided meditation that he does. Sure. It's like 10 minutes, 11 minutes, I think. Yeah. If, you could, if you could post that at michaelmamas.net, the comments to this particular blog and the good news is blog. Sure. Could you do that as a comment? Yeah. Yeah. And if you could do, I don't know if it's doable here now, just as a sidebar thing. And if it is, go ahead. And if not, don't worry about it. We'll just, but everybody, you can find it at michaelmamas.net after Scotty posted. Try it. You know, I think it's really fascinating. I do it right after I meditate. Do you, Scott? Um, yeah, I, I do. do. You do, uh -huh. yeah. And do you follow the, you still, after three years, still listen to the guided thing, or do you just do it on your own? Yeah, I have the app. There's an app that he has, and it yeah. has the course, because I, I got it as a birthday present, you know, this course. Uh -huh. They have a course that you can follow on the app. Yeah, well, as you and I were discussing yesterday, was it, Scotty? Yeah. You don't need to do the course and everything. No. Just that basic guide. It's free on YouTube. Yeah. Scotty will post the link. Right. And if that's all you ever, that's at least at this point in time, my intention is to not go any further yeah. with it than that. Other than uh, this cold showers. That's a kind of another subject, but Wim Hof is really into cold showers. I remember Maharishi used to say that if people just took cold showers, they'd never get sick. Uh, but, you know, this technique involves holding your breath. And I'm one of, I think, most people that the idea of having to hold your breath for a prolonged period of time is just horrific to me. It's like, oh, you know, but, uh, you know, almost like panic or something. Oh, I don't want to do this. Like, but uh, being smothered or something. But, uh with this technique, it's completely different. It's not like that. It's almost um, euphoric is overstated, but it's, well, how would you describe that feeling, Scott? Uh, it's, 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 uh, I don't know. It's, it's pretty amazing. Cause I've done, I've done the showers and then I've also got into like cold water up in like Washington when we're up there visiting <laughs> and you know, I don't know if anybody's ever been in, in Seattle in middle winter and gone in the ocean, but it's not a, a something that you're like, yeah, let's do this. It's like, now does, the, does the breathing technique, the, um, which involves holding your breath, does the breathing technique, uh, is there also a technique that he offers for cold showers or is it just that the breathing technique develops your physiology and strengthens your parasympathetic nervous system yes. in a way that you can just take cold showers, no problem. I would say that right there, what you just said. The latter. Yeah, because right. um, you can just all this. It's just like, you know, how you were saying uh, when you're holding your breath, there's this fear, like you have a fear, like I'm going to die or something. Like if I have to hold my breath underwater, if I had to swim under somewhere, you know, it's oh my God. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I'm going to die if I have to do it that long. But same thing with going into the cold. It's like you can now control your reaction to that. And you're, you're not going to die. It's not like I believe that I can believe that because I mean, that you can control just spontaneously, because really, after doing the technique one time, I got up and walked around. And it gave me a, a deeper feeling for the nature of the interconnection between I was going to say mind and body, but I think better it's sympathetic and parasympathetic. Yeah. And the idea that the parasympathetic without um, being normalized, without some, <clears throat> without this technique, that's almost like the parasympathetic runs wild and it has that flight or, and fight reaction to the very idea of holding your breath at all. Yeah. I mean, before I did the technique, the first time I tried holding my breath, I forget how long it wasn't long. And then, Right after this technique, and it's part of the, at the end of the technique, I guess it is, I held my breath for a minute and 45 seconds. Scotty says he's up to usually two and a half minutes about, and uh, he's, he, you even have done, you held your breath for nine minutes once. Not Yeah, nine, we were in uh, Maui just this last year, and uh, I was just sitting on the deck, and I said, you know, I've got some time, but I was waiting for them to get ready. And so I was like, okay, I'll just do some rounds, you know, while everybody's getting ready. Mm-hmm. And I just went into it. It was just almost like a soup. You, as I was going, it was like getting into a deeper, deeper state of, you know, like meditating is the closest thing I can think of. Yeah. Yeah. It's different, but it's the closest I yeah. can think of. And the word euphoric isn't right. Cause there's no emotion. There's no, it's yeah. just a state of um, kind of like exquisite suspension. Yeah. Yeah. And then before I knew it, I was like, I looked down and it was like nine and a half minutes. And I was like, wow. (laughs) That's great, Scott. That's really fascinating. I appreciate you introducing me to that and I'll continue uh, working with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's see here. Let's move on. I like this car. By the way, way, it's also helped like, any, whenever I think I'm getting sick, you know, whatever, I mean, just start, I mean, I can believe that just, you can just keep, you can do more rounds than one in a day too. Yeah. Uh, or, you do it all you want. Yeah. yeah and, uh, I, I, you know, it's like colds, not, I mean, anything, I'm not even worried, no, no COVID worries, no flu worries, no nothing, you know, cause it's like, you just do it. And it's like, it just, well, speaking is one that historically is averse to the idea of holding my breath for a prolonged period of time. I'm enjoying it. Yeah. And I look forward to doing it the next time, you know, I've done it three yeah. times and, and we'll see. And so you'll post that uh, yeah. link and it's just, the link is to a guided meditation and it's on YouTube. But if you go to YouTube, this guy's got tons of articles. And then I was looking and I saw a uh, podcast by uh, uh, Novak Djokovic, a tennis player. You know, he's controversial, I guess, a little bit. I'm really impressed with the guy myself. It turns out uh, he's doing that technique, evidently, and he did a whole, I think it was an hour interview with Wim Hof. I haven't listened to the whole thing yet, but I intend to. Uh, Djokovic is an interesting character. Anyway, um, a few things I wanted to get to in, in, in this podcast. Uh, Christmas is coming up. And they talk, and there's this, you know, I mean, gee, the world is just so way out there. But I guess there's this um, uh, library in uh, outside of Boston, Dedham, 
and uh, they weren't allowing a Christmas tree to be put up, and that became a big controversy. And then they said, well, it was just that we haven't set it up yet. And But they were putting something up for, I forget what, holiday and other holidays. And I just wish the world would calm down about all of that. When I was in India, it was all a Hindu, and I was fine with it. Uh, and I think different cultures, different countries, they have their own predominant religion, and that feeds the cultural integrity. Christmas, even the feeling of, and if you don't have a negative attitude, you know, you go into a grocery store during Christmas and it has a, a feeling that if you're receptive to it, it's beautiful. And, and that's the season the, that, that cultivates something in the, in the fabric of the culture that's exquisite. And so why can't we just respect, okay, I'm in this country and they do uh, Hinduism or this country and they're Jewish or this country and they're predominantly Christian. And it doesn't mean that we shun the other religions by any means whatsoever. Uh, uh, but it's, it's, it doesn't have to be a homogenous whitewashing of all the different cultures throughout the world into one unified culture. That's not the way it's supposed to be. Uh, and it's not the way it's ever going to be because it's unnatural. Okay. So this hodgepodge of global holidays versus cultural integrity, you know, um, Another thing, I saw another quote that I liked outside of that Baptist church that I like to talk about. And the, this quote, it said, wise people still love Jesus. And, and uh, again, on the surface, I can understand. This is why I think religions are, people are getting alienated from religions. Is they read that and it's like, that doesn't make any sense. And it, I mean, you know, and it's because the, the deeper meaning has, has uh, been lost. And, and so what is the deeper meaning? <clears throat> the deeper meaning is <clears throat> that there's a transcendental basis, the uni unified field in modern physics. There's a basis to all existence. And it's the source of all the intelligence, harmony, coherence that birthed this whole universe. And it's the essence of everything in the universe. I am that, thou art that, all is, is nothing but that. And it's such a source of harmony and in health. And I like to say, you know, everything has a personified correlate. You know, that's and that's a whole other lecture. But the personified correlate to that value is God, Jesus. There's many different faces: Buddha, Muhammad, Krishna. You know, uh, and that depending on how you use the word love, you know, that's, you, you love that value. It's that thought value is so precious. And, and I, th I think if that deeper meaning is there, then it makes sense to people. You know, I've seen this several times now where I drive by the temple on a busy weekend day, say when there are a lot of guests there and you'll see a, a usually, well, I think every time so far, it's been a young, like a teenage boy, and he doesn't go in the temple. He's sitting on a bench waiting for his parents. And uh, I drove by this guy once like that. And I regretted not stopping because I could just tell. 
he was weirded out by the whole thing. You know, he was of Indian descent, but he obviously grew up in America and he just didn't want, want to go in there. And I just felt like I get it. You know, you, you go in there and there's this lingo that everybody's worshiping. And then there's the, uh, Ganesh, this God with an elephant head and the body of a man. And it's just all too weird, but there's an understanding just like the understanding we said about, you know, wise people love Jesus. Um, and there's an understanding there and, and for religions to get healthy again. And by, by that, I mean, to be recognized and for the value, the universal value and how it feeds a culture, uh, a deeper understanding has to be there, you know? And we can provide it. It's and it's essential. Uh, I know. I guess there was a meeting of a bunch of religious leaders once, and they were saying that um, how are we, they were questioning how are we going to, you know, get people back into the churches and all. And I guess it was a, a Vedic scholar who said, "Well, let's teach them Sanskrit." And my response to that is, they they won't be willing to learn the Sanskrit. What they have to be taught first is the appreciate a conceptual understanding of what it is, what's going on here, what that's really about, you know, and, and then they'll want to learn, you know, uh, if they're Hindu or whatever, they'll want to learn about Sanskrit, you know? Uh, so that's why I said as the, con as the comment to this um, podcast, how to see what really is, uh, the knowledge of the rishis, you know, the knowledge, that deep knowledge of life and existence, it's eternal, uh, but it's eternally elusive, you know, and, and the health of a culture depends on it, you know, and, and so it's kind of like if you have God in physics, physics is sort of like the science of the nature of existence. And then God is like the personified quality, the personified aspect of that deepest level. We can, if you want, you can, you know, look at it that way. Uh, sometimes another name for uh, the absolute or like that, the personified correlate is Ishwara. Ishwara is, um, you know, the totality and all like that. But um, see, there's a thing that within the structure of the Veda, within the structure of the unified field, within the structure of the absolute, it's a field of perfection. There's no mistake there. Consciousness perceives it itself, but perceives it as other without losing that sense that that too is the self, not just as an attitude or a philosophy, but it's just a seamless state. Whereas in the field of relativity, that's why they call it relativity because I and that become two separate things. Uh, you may feel some union with that or whatever, but it's not, it's not seamless. It's relative. And so it's the field of relativity. And so the field of relativity is a field of imperfection. That's why they call it Maya illusions based on a mistake. I am that I am that all of this is nothing but that, you know, uh, <clears throat> But the thing is, you can't derive perfection from imperfection. It's like you can't derive a perfectly focused photograph from a blurry photograph. You can try and you can get approximations. But here's what here's the difference is that 
with within the course of human evolution, as we evolve, as we gravitate back to the transcendent, we get to this point where we're so close, and that's the human physiology, really. And then it has a, 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 then within the human physiology the the ability to make that final refinement, which they call it transcending, where you awaken to that value. Uh, by moving beyond relativity. And it's remarkable that, that we can do that. And, and that's the path of evolution. It's not about emotional indulgence. It's not about theoretical understanding, though those things can help lead us in the direction, you see. But the, the, the final aha experience is to transcend, you see. I'm making sense there, Scotty? Absolutely. Okay, good. Um, oh, so here's some, something else that's pretty cool. There's the concept of uh, a drishta and a purva. A drishta, drishta means sight. A drishta means beyond the seeable. And uh, a lot of times in like an astrology chart or a jyotish chart, even a really great jyotish scholar, scholar may look at it, somebody's astrology chart and then something happens and they don't see it in the chart. And the, the reason for that is called a drishta. It's like, the Jyotish charge is just a map of karma. It's not who you are, really. It's more about what your karma is, you know, in this incarnation. And, and uh, but a lot of the karma is so deep within existence that it's not perceivable, even in the Jyotish chart. It's like a, a ripple at the depth of the ocean. And you just see a little minimal, it can even be a torrent at the depth of the o- ocean. But just on the surface, it's just a little faint ripple that might be perceivable by a really talented astrologer, a Jyotishi, and might not. It's Adrishta. It's not seen, but yet it can determine the course of events in a major way. That's Adrishta. Now, here's another thing called Apurva. Apurva is, like I said, the, you know, you know the, uh, uh, Adrishta is all about cause and effect and the depth. It's karma, cause and effect, the laws of action. Apurva, conversely, is like that which is beyond karma. You could say beyond relativity. Uh, Apurva, uh, sometimes, oh, what are the different ways they try to use it? Um, Unprecedented or uh, without without beginning, without cause. And what's that about? Well, it could be viewed as divine intervention or it could be viewed as just free will. And I don't mean free will just because you feel like you're free. That can be karmic just because the karma has the feeling in your psyche that you're free doesn't mean you are free. That can be karmic as well. But true free will, in other words, coming (coughs) from that transcendental level, that level that is beyond relativity, beyond cause and effect, the transcendental level, that field of perfection, if you will. And that then is real free will, and that could be viewed as a purva. There's no cause. There's no cause and effect. It's beyond cause and effect. It's, and, and, and you can relate this to, in an interesting way, to prayer. Uh, see, prayer, and I have to say, a lot of times I have a problem with, I mean, I get it, and I understand, you know, there's a reality to prayer, and I've, I've definitely, one time in particular, in my life, I can really remember where my prayer was answered in a very significant and clear way, you know. But but the thing is, how deep is your prayer? I don't mean how emotionally intense, how passionate. 
but I mean, at what level of your being are you coming from uh, when you do that prayer? Uh, and that d d determines the degree of the Apoorva value. And you could, in a way, you could view that as that you could look at it this way. That's um, the degree to which, you know, God is going to hear your prayer or respond to your prayer, you know. Uh, so it's a matter of communion, isn't it? The more we communicate, we commune, we become one with. The more we're coming then from a level deeper and deeper, the transcendental level. And so uh, that's why they say the best way to pray is, to, you know, you can do it right after you meditate or when you're in that deep state, not during meditation, but right after you can have that thought, that prayer. And then the trick is to let it go. Because after you do that, if you hold on to it, when you go into relativity, then it becomes more superficial. But if you let it go, then it goes right into the transcendent, that Apoorva value. You see, that's the art of prayer. Um, All right. Uh, I think, let me look here. Oh, I didn't talk about uh, Divya Drishti. This is a very interesting thing. And that's the last thing that we'll talk about today, I guess. Uh, Divya Drishti. Drishti, you know, I just talked about a Drishta. Uh, so, it means sight, drishta, adrishta, not seen. Divya drishti means divine sight, uh, cosmic sight. And so this is an amazing thing. And you know, our evolution has to do with expounding our boundaries, expounding, ex moving beyond the limitations of our understanding, not because we start to believe anything or we become gullible, but, be, but through discernment and reflection and depth of insight, we start to get a deeper grasp, a more unbounded understanding of the potential of life and the nature of life. And, and uh, you know, it's amazing. Just an example of how people don't do that is, you know, they, we see these incredible structures that were built in ancient times. And instead of saying, well, it sounds like back then they had a knowledge that we don't have, where, where do people come up? With, oh, well, UFOs must have come and landed and built them. I'm not saying there's no such thing as UFOs. I'm not talking about that right now. But the thing is, there was knowledge. There was knowledge back there, you know, that we don't have today. Okay? So along with that knowledge, we can even get into yugas, different ages. Sat Yuga, Kali Yuga, you know, and and each of these yugas have a different set of laws of nature. And even modern physicists now are finally recognizing that the laws of nature change over time. Things they thought were constants or variables. And so through eons of time, what happens then is it gets to the point where it's kind of like, oh, I guess an analogy might be where you have, you know, negative uh, uh, one half, Negative one, negative one half, negative one quarter, negative one eighth. Then you get to zero and then it flips positive one eighth, positive one half. So there's a actual flip there. And, and that those things happen in the course of time as these variables change over time where you go into different yugas, different ages, different laws of nature. And, and in the Veda is historical accounts of times when the laws of nature were very different. And if our vision is too... 
too bound, then we, uh, that's far-fetched, that's just myth, mythology, you know? And so great knowledge then is abandoned uh, by virtue of that. So why am I bringing that up with respect to Divya Drishti? Okay, here it is. The Rishis, I've talked about Rishis in the past. They're seers, but they're like embodiments of the upholders of the laws of nature. They're actually structured within the Veda, within the dynamics of, of the um, functioning, if you will, of uh, this world, this universe, propuncham, really. Um, <clears throat> so within that dynamic, different yuga, okay, but still on earth, still in the relative. There's a rishi named Valmiki. Valmiki translates as anthill, but his name is Valmiki. And Valmiki was the guy who wrote, you know, the Valmiki Ramayana, you know, the story of Rama and Sita and Ravana and all that. But now here's, here's how that was done, which is, it's, it's called um, um, Divya Drishti. Valmiki went into deep meditation and he said in that meditation for a very long time. And as the whole story of the Ramayana was unfolding, he was in this state with divine sight, right? Divya Drishti. And he saw the unfoldment of what was going on, which is the story of the Ramayana. And that's how the uh, Ramayana was, the Valmiki Ramayana was cognized. That's pretty cool, isn't it, Scotty? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's amazing, you know. Uh, but the problem is, again, I think vision has to expand. We're, we're, we're so limited, you know, by nature, all of us, you know, we're so limited in our worldview and our understanding. They say we only use, you know, 10% of our brain. Well, hello, you know, we can expand way beyond the limitations of how our awareness functions. And it changes our understanding of the world radically, our depth of insight, you see. Uh, so also then there's the Veda Vyasa. Vyasa, great seer, Rishi like that. Um, he, he did the same kind of thing, not in an anthill. Oh, because see, Valmiki, when he did that, an anthill built up all around him. That's why they call him Valmiki, because he was sitting there do doing that and so deep that the ants were building around him and they just enclosed him like, you know. Uh, so Vyasa did a similar thing in the sense, not with the anthill, but he did Divya Drishti, uh, and that's how he perceived the Mahabharata as it was unfolding, the Mahabharata, the Mahabharata. And, and uh, uh, he also uh, cognized the Puranas uh, in the same way. So this whole concept of Divya Drishti is incredible. Um, all right, well... There's so much crazy stuff going on in the world today. I just, I posted in my blog that corresponds to this podcast under current events. The good news is that people are waking up, you know, just like with respect to spirituality. I think the idea that people are getting upset with religions, the superficial understandings of them is compelling people to look deeper. And that's great. Yeah, and I also think a lot of these religious leaders, they do see deeper 
but they're presenting in a way that, you know, the people can hear. But now it's where at time. And this is the good news that people are wanting a deeper, under, a deeper understanding. And so in a sense, then the rejection of religion is going to be the birth of and, 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 the, and is the unfolding of deeper and deeper levels of understanding of our religions. Uh, and keep in mind, religion is got one foot in spirituality, the other foot in cultural integrity. And that's something that all still needs to be understood. But it's happening. And that's the good news. Uh, wow. If you... I was looking at this thing about ancient Roman history. I've got it written down there about, you know, the politicians were cons- uh, got to the point as ancient Rome was becoming corrupt of forever conspiring to advance their careers. Uh, the electorate, it became composed of their friends and uh, relatives of the powerful politicians who would just put them into office. And so it became this little elite group at the top that was running the whole thing. They even succumbed to bribing people to vote the way they wanted them to do. Uh, And so eventually the whole thing became run by just a handful of big corrupt families. Uh, It became a system that was dependent upon status, personal conflict, their personal uh, contacts and influence. Uh, my question to you is, does that sound familiar? I mean, that's what's going on in the world today, my goodness. Oh, another thing really interesting, I saw a quote that I thought was pretty cool. I don't know, communism succeeds in the crush of the human spirit. That's double-edged there, because you know, a lot of the, I encourage you, so to, I watched something, on RT News, Russian television news, it's on YouTube, just to hear what they have to say. And, uh, and of course, we can say, oh, propaganda, but there are statistical studies that do show that, you know, a lot of the Russian people really like Putin and supporting Putin. It's not like they're suppressed in, in, in the sense that we might get conveyed to us. Uh, uh, and also, oh, one thing that I listened to that's really good, it's on... Um, YouTube, Gravitas News, it's out of India. India has a very interesting perspective on on a lot of these things, you know. Uh, They still do business with Russia, which made the U.S. mad. They still do business with the U.S. uh, And and the news that comes out of this Gravitas News on YouTube is is worth listening to. Just recently, they gave a whole overview of the whole history of Ukraine and Russia and that whole dynamic. I didn't know where they were going to go with it, but I think what, almost the very last sentence in the whole presentation was that, you know, it's getting to the point now where Russia needs to just let it go. Uh, anyway. Um, well, did you, th- there was also a, a thing that just, they had a, a reporter from here or somewhere, uh, he sounded American, went into Russia and he went into the grocery yeah. stores there. Did you see all that? And they, yeah. he went in there and bought like, you know, what normally would cost like a hundred dollars here and and you get a bag of groceries and there it was like, you know, $15 or something. And, and, and he, I remember, I think I saw that. And he, I think he even said that the grocery stores, there are like whole foods. Yeah. All the shelves were full, plenty of choice, plenty of this, plenty of right. that. Yeah. Abundance. Yeah. So the, all this stuff about the sanctions and how we're really, you know, sticking it to them and, yeah. Yeah. How the sanctions aren't really even hurting. No. You know, yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so that's why it's the other thing. And I don't speak French, but I know someone who's fluent in French and they listen to the news from French radio. And then they tell me it's so different than what's being presented here. Uh, be it a liberal station or be it a conservative station, it's different. And uh, RT News, it's different uh, on uh, YouTube. You can hear it. And, and Gravitas News from India, it's different. And, and it gives, I'm telling you, it gives insight. It's worth doing, you know. Uh, I feel a personal, I guess, obligation to do that to a great extent. Because, you know, what we're doing here at Mount Soma is about the world. It's about evolving the world. It's about employing these ancient technologies uh, uh, that can help transform the world. And so understanding the world is it's an important thing for all of us, really. Uh, it's worthwhile hearing what other people are saying, bottom line. Did, did you know fentanyl, Scotty, is killing more people per year than automobile accidents, gunshots, and suicides all combined? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, ridiculous. I mean, did I saw there was another cop that got hurt from trying to rescue somebody that was on a had a fentanyl overdose. Yeah. You know, all they have to do that's how deadly it is. It's like you just have to like breathe it in and if it's in like a powder form or something. Yeah, because she almost form. it was a female cop, she almost yeah. died. Yeah. And the other cops were there reviving her, otherwise she yeah. would have died. Yeah. The, the term barbarian, by the way, is an interesting term. You know, I guess it originated when the Romans were uh, invading Germania, you know, Germany, Germania, and uh, they couldn't understand the language they were speaking. They said, ah, just blah, 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 you know, and so blah, blah became barbarian, which is interesting. But I, I think at this point in time, we do well as a exercise, if nothing else, to take a step back and ask ourselves, who are the barbarians? You know, I don't think there's ever been a culture where the people there think they're the barbarians. They think the other guys are the barbarians. And there's so much going on, even in the way we do our politics and stuff, not just in this country, but other countries as well. It's barbaric. Uh, the music, uh, you, I mean, it's, it's hard to even talk about without pushing people's buttons, but all aspects of car of our uh, culture and the behaviors and human behaviors. Uh, who are the real barbarians, you know? Um, it's worth taking a look at. Um, and even to the degree of perversion, and gosh, there's so much of that going on in the news now, but uh, the problem with perversion is uh, it's not recognized as perverse that, that the, by the people that are practicing life that way. Uh, it's like the, the, the awareness, the physiology, the psychology has to be refined. What I mean by refined, living more in harmony with nature, in harmony with the unified field, you see, living from a deeper place within your own being. Uh, because on, if, if that refinement isn't there, if the psyche is cruder, then you can just justify anything with the intellect. Well, how do you know that it's not right to do this? Or what makes you think that you're right and they're wrong? And there's just no coherence there. Uh, anyway, 
talking I guess, about ancient technologies uh, again, Michael. Did you have you seen that uh, Netflix? They have a a, a new docu series that's um, called the Ancient Disaster, where they talk about the Younger Dryas event. You know where they've they've found you know kind of like what happened where the dinosaurs became extinct. Oh uh, yeah, where I get this, I think there's this archaeologist or anthropologist that's going around to different sites and right. is that the one? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. I, I saw part of it. You but know, they're, they're but talking I, about that. That could have been the thing with Atlantis that wiped out Atlantis. Was we went through this? Uh, there's a meteor field that we go through twice a year, and right. there's all this evidence of. Well, all that correlates, you know, to the state of the psyche, psyche of the planet. Yeah, there's. I, I mean, I could do a whole thing about. And we could. I mean, and I have in classes, Scotty, you've heard it, you know, yeah. about the history of the world and ancient history pre-recorded. Anyway, yeah. maybe someday we'll do that as a podcast. I don't know. Did yeah. you see that uh, uh, new th- documents are being released that are in- indicating that the CIA was complicit in the Kennedy assassination? Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Uh, they say there's. they still are withholding a lot. And, of course you know, hiding a lot of the documentation that's there, but we'll see what comes with that. Yeah, it was funny. I saw a guy that had, had a copy of what they had released and it's yeah. like, you know, there, there may be three sentences on every page. That oh you- yeah. They redacted the majority <laughs> of it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, CDC, this is an interesting thing. There's a, a statistics that came out. Uh, about guns and defensive use of guns and how so many people have defended their lives, the lives of others and loved ones and things because they had guns. And it's, and they say it's, it's, it's saved somewhere between 60,000 and two and a half million people a year. Uh, at any rate, believe that or not, what happened is that the uh, anti-gun movement people protested and they took it off the website. CDC website. Interesting. One last thing, and that is uh, how modern physics has gone astray. Uh, and that and it, that started really back in the early 1900s. I mean, it really got messed up. And I think, you know, Schrodinger's equation. Schrodinger was the guy who said that uh, uh, and Folan, the idea of parallel universes and all this stuff with the idea that based on the mode of function of quantum mechanics, there there's two interpretations of the Schrodinger equation. And one is the Copenhagen and the other is the statistical ensemble. Basically, without going into any detail, the Copenhagen interpretation says that, you know, Schrodinger's cat, you know, that whole thing where you put a cat in a box and put it through this thing and the cat, and if you really look at it properly, the cat is simultaneously alive and dead in one universe it could be alive in a parallel universe it could be dead that kind of an idea then there's the statistical ensemble interpretation which is more like you know what i've talked about scotty about heisenberg and everything in the in the quantum mechanical level everything is a probability cloud but you know when you grab onto it when you look at it the observer affects it it makes it precipitate out into a different 
particular point, even though before it's interacted with, it's a cloud with a probability could be here, probability it could be there, certain probability it could be there. So the statistical ensemble thing says that once it's interacted with, once it's viewed, once it comes into being, it precipitates out, the cat precipitates out, not as both alive and dead, but either alive or it's dead, but it's not both. And so the statistical ensemble approach, you know, the realizing makes a lot more sense, even though now we've got a lot of talking about identity with a lot of physicists have really invested their life into this Copenhagen interpretation. Uh, uh, and so now it's not looking very good for their careers. And I mean, sad to say, you know, anyway, I guess that's it for this week. Anything else, Scotty? No, I think that's it. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening and look forward to chatting with you again uh, next week.